0: Welcome to Fixing the Future, an IEEE Spectrum podcast. This episode is brought to you by IEEE Explore, the digital library with over 6 million technical documents and free search. I'm senior editor Stephen Cass, and today I'm talking with a former Spectrum editor, Sally A.D., about her new book, We Are Electric, The New Science of Our Body's Electrome.
1: Sally, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Uh,
0: It's great to see you again, but before we get into exactly what you mean by the body's electron and so on. Um, I see that in researching this book, you actually got yourself zapped quite a bit in a number
1: of different ways. Um, So I guess my first question is, are you okay? (laughs) Um, I mean, as okay as I can imagine being there's, unfortunately, there's no experimental sort of condition and control condition. I can't see the self. I would have been in the multiverse version of myself that didn't zap themselves. So um, I think I'm saying yes. <laughs> uh,
0: the, 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 fir- the first question I have then is, what is an electrom?
1: So the electrome is this uh, word, I think, that's been burbling around the bioelectricity community uh, it, for a number of years. The first time it was committed to print uh, is a 2016 paper by this guy called Arnold DeLoof, um, a researcher out in Europe. and, But before that, Um, A number of the researchers I spoke to for this book told me that they had started to see it in papers that they were reviewing and I think you know that it wasn't sort of um, defined consistently always because there's this idea that seems to be sort of bubbling to the top bubbling to the surface that there are these electrical properties that the body has, and they're not just, you know, epiphenomena, and they're not just in the nervous system, they're not just action potentials, but that there are electrical properties in every one of our cells, but also, you know, at the organ level, potentially at the sort of entire system level, that people are trying to figure out what they actually do. And just as action potentials aren't just epiphenomena, but actually are control mechanisms, they're looking at how these electrical properties work in the rest of the body, like in the cells, you know, membrane voltages and, you know, skin cells, for example, are involved in wound healing. Um, And there's this idea that maybe these are a an epigenetic variable that we haven't been able to, you know, conscript yet, you know, and there's such promise in it. But a lot of the research, the problem is that the, a lot of the research is being done across really far flung scientific communities, you know, some in developmental biology, some of it in oncology, um, a lot of it in neuroscience, obviously. But what what this whole idea of the electrome is, I was trying to pull this all together because the idea behind the book is I really want like that people to just develop this umbrella of, you know, bioelectricity, call it the electrome. Call it bioelectricity, but I kind of want the word electrom to do for you know bioelectricity research what the word genome did for molecular biology. <laughs> so that's basically the spiel. So
0: I, I want to circle sort of back to a couple of points you raised there. But first off, just for people who might know, what is an action potential?
1: So the action potential is the electrical mechanism by which the nervous signal travels, either to actuate motion at the behest of you know your intent or to gain sensation and sort of perceive the world around you Um, and that's the electrical part of the electrochemical nervous impulse so everybody knows about neurotransmitters at the synapse and you know well not everybody but probably spectrum listeners um they know about like the serotonin that's released and all these other little guys but the thing is you wouldn't be able to have that release without the movement of charged particles called ions in and out of the nerve cell that actually send this impulse down and allow it to travel at a rate of speed that's fast enough to let you yank your hand away from a hot stove when you've touched it before you even sort of perceive that you did so.
0: So so that actually brings me to my next question. So you may remember in some of like Spectrum's editorial meetings when we were deciding if a tech story was for us or not, that Literally, we would often ask, where's the moving electron? Where's the moving electron? Mm. Um, but bioelectricity is not really based on moving electrons. Um, it, it's, it's based on these ions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, so let's take the neuron as an example. So y- what you've got is, um, let me just, let me do like a, imagine a spherical cow for a, <laughs> for a neuron, okay? So you've got a blob and uh, it's a membrane and it's, you know, that separates the inside of your cell from the outside of your cell. And this membrane is studded with tens of thousands, I think, um, you know, little pores called ion channels. And the pores are not just sieve pores. They're not inert. They're really smart. And they decide which ions they like. Now let's go to the ions. Ions are suffusing your extracellular fluid, all the stuff that bathes you. It's basically the reason they say you're 66% water or whatever. This is like sea water. It's got sodium potassium, calcium, uh, etc. And these ions are charged particles. So when you've got a cell, it likes potassium, the the neuron, it likes potassium. It lets it in. It doesn't really like sodium so much. It's got very strong preferences. So um, in its resting state, which is its happy place, those channels allow potassium ions to enter and those are probably where the electrons are, actually, because, <laughs> you know, uh, an ion is, you know, it, it, it's got a plus one charge or a minus one charge based on. But let's not go too far into it. But basically, um, the cell allows the potassium to come inside um, and in its resting state, which is its happy place, the separation of the potassium from the sodium causes, for all sorts of complicated reasons, a charge inside the cell that is minus 70 degree, sorry, minus 70 millivolts with respect to the extracellular fluid. Before I read your book, I kind of
0: had the idea that how neurons use electricity was essentially central science, very well understood, all kind of squared away, and this was how the body used electricity. But even when it came to to, to neurons, um, you know, there's a lot of fundamentals, like Kind of basic things about how neur- neurons use electricity that we really only established like relatively recently. Like some of the r- the research you're you're, t- you're talking about is is definitely not a century old kind of basic science a- a- about how these things work.
1: No, not at all. In fact, there was a, a paper in uh, uh, released in two thousand eighteen that I um, didn't include, which I'm really annoyed by. I just found it recently. Obviously, you can't find all the papers. (laughs) But um, it's super interesting because it blends that whole sort of, um, you know, ionic basis of the action potential with another thing in my book that's about um, how, um, you know, uh, it's... uh, cell development is a is a little bit like a battery getting charged you know how like cells um, assume an electrical identity that may actually be in charge of the cell fate that they meet and so we know about you know the, sorry the, the book goes into more detail but it's like um, when a cell is stem or you know fertilized egg it's depolarized it's it's, it's at zero and then when it um, becomes a nerve cell uh, it goes to that minus 70 that I was talking about before. If it becomes a fat cell, it's at minus 50. If it's a musculoskeletal if it's musculoskeletal tissue, it goes to minus 90. liver cells are like around minus 40. And so you've got like real um, identitarian diversity in your electrical diversity in your tissues, which you know has something to do with what they end up doing in the society of cells. Um, but, so this paper that I was talking about, the 2018 paper, they actually looked at neurons. This was work from um, Denis Jobadon at um, the University of Geneva. And they were looking at how neurons actually differentiate. Because when baby neurons are born, like your, your brain is made of all kinds of cells. It's not just like cortical cells. Like there's like staggering variety of classes of neurons. And as cells actually differentiate, you can watch their voltage change. Um, just like you can do in the rest of the body with these electrosensitive dyes it's so that's that's like an aspect of um, the brain that we hadn't even realized until 2018
0: and, and that actually all, that that all leads me to my next point which is you know we if we think bioelectricity we think okay nerves zapping around um, but neurons are not the only bioelectric network in the in the body so t- talk about some of the other sort of electrical networks we have completely or are or, or largely separate from from our neural networks.
1: Well, so Michael Levin is um, a professor at Tufts University. He does all kinds of other stuff, but he's mainly he's in he's 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 kind of I guess he's like the Paul Erdos of bioelectricity. I like to call him because he's sort of the central node. He's he's networked into everybody, and I think he's really trying to you know again also assemble this umbrella of 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 bioelectricity to study this all in the aggregate. Um, so his idea is that, you know, it's we, we are really committed to this idea of bioelectricity being um, in charge of our sort of central communications network, the way that we understand the environment around us and the way that we understand um, our ability to move and feel within it. But he thinks that bioelectricity is also how. Like that, 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 that the nervous system kind of hijacked this this mechanism, which is way older than any nervous system. And he thinks that we have a another underlying network that is about our shape, um, and that this is bioelectrically mediated in really important ways, which which um, impacts development, of course, but also wound healing, because if you think about like. Uh, the idea that your body understands its own shape. What happens when you get a cut? Like, how does it heal it? It has to go back to some sort of memory of what its shape is in order to, you know, heal it over. Um, in animals that regenerate, they have a completely different electrical profile after they've been, so sort of after they've had an arm chopped off. So it's a very different electrical, uh, yeah, it's it's a different electrical process that allows a starfish to regrow a limb than the one that allows us to scar over. So you've got this thing called a wound current. Um, Your skin cells are arranged in this like real like tight wall, like little soldiers basically. And what's important is that um, they're polarized in such a way that if you cut your skin, all the sort of ions flow out in a certain way which creates this wound current which then generates um, an electric field and the electric field acts like a beacon it's like a it's like a bat signal right and it guides in these little helper cells uh, you know the the macrophages that come and gobble up the mess and the keratinocytes and the guys who build it back up again and and scar you over and It starts out strong, and as you scar over, as the wound heals, it very slowly goes away. Um, By the time the wound is healed, there's no more field. And what was super interesting is this guy, Richard Nuttalli, invented this thing called the dermacorder that's able to um, uh, sense and evaluate the electric field. And he found that in people over the age of 65, the wound field is less than half of what it is in people under 25 and that actually goes in line with another weird thing about us which is that our bioelectricity like or sorry our regeneration capabilities are like time dependent and tissue dependent so you probably know that like the intestinal tissue regenerates all the time like you're gonna digest next week's food with totally different cells than this morning's food but um also we're time dependent because when we're in when we're uh just two cells if you cleave that in half you get identical twins um later on during um dev- fetal development there, it's totally scarless which is something we found out because um when we started being able to do fetal surgery in the womb it was determined that like you know we, we heal basically scarlessly then we're born, and then between the ages of seven and eleven, until we are between the ages of seven and eleven, you chop off a finger uh, tip. Um, it regenerates perfectly, including the nail. Um, but we lose that ability, and so it seems like like the older we get, the less we regenerate. And so you know they're they're trying to figure out now how various programs are trying to figure out how to try to take control of various aspects of our sort of bioelectrical systems to do things like um, like radically accelerate healing, for example, or how to possibly re-engage the body's developmental processes in order to regenerate like preposterous things like a limb, you know? I mean it sounds preposterous now, maybe in twenty years it'll just be
0: Here, I wanna get into some of the the technologies that people are thinking of building on this. Sort of new science part of it is that the the history of this field um, both scientifically and technologically has really been plagued by the shadow of, of quackery and um, can you talk a little bit about this and like how it has you know on the one hand there's been some things where we're very very glad that we we stopped doing some very bad ideas but it's also had this shadow on sort of current research and and trying to get real therapies um, to patients,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, that was actually one of my favorite chapters to write was the spectacular pseudoscience one because, I mean, that is so much fun. Um, so it can be boiled down to the fact that we were trigger happy because we see this, you know, electricity. We're super excited about it. We start developing early tools to start manipulating it in like the seventeen hundreds. And straight away, it's like, this is an amazing new tool. And there's all these sort of uh, folk cures out there that we then decide that we're going to take, um, not into the clinic, I don't know what you call it, but, you know, people just start dispensing this stuff. This is separate from the discovery of endogenous electrical activity, which is what Luigi Galvani famously discovered in the uh, like late 1700s. He starts doing this. Um, he's an anatomist. He's not an electrician. Electrician, by the way, is what they used to call the you know the sort of literati who were in charge of um, discovery around electricity, and it had a really different connotation at the time. They were kind of like the rocket scientists of their day. But Galvani's just a an, an anatomist, and he starts doing all of these um, experiments, using these new tools to zap frogs in various ways and permutations, and he decides that he has answered a whole different old question which is what how how does man's will you know animate his hands and let him feel the world around him and he says this is electrical in nature this is a long-standing mystery people have been you know bashing their heads against it for the past like 100 200 years but he says that this is electrical and there's a big long fight i won't get into too much between volta the guy who invented the battery and, and galvani Volta says, no, this is not electrical. Galvani says, yes, it is. But owing to events, when Volta invents the battery, he basically wins the argument, not because Galvani was wrong, but because Volta had created something useful. He had created a tool that people could use to advance the study of all kinds of things. Galvani's idea that we have an endogenous electrical sort of impulse It didn't lead to anything that anybody could use because we didn't have tools sensitive enough to really measure it we only sort of had indirect measurements of it and his nephew after he dies in ignominy his nephew decides to bring it on himself to um rescue single-handedly his uncle's reputation the problem is the way he does it is with a series of grotesque spectacular experiments like he very famously reanimated well zapped until they shivered the corpses of all these dead guys dead criminals and like really you know he was doing like really intense things like sticking you know electrodes connected to huge uh, voltaic piles proto batteries into the rectums of dead prisoners which would like you know make them you know sit up halfway and like point at you know the people who are assembled it's very titillating stuff many you know celebrities of the time would crowd around these demonstrations anyway so galvani basically or sorry aldini the, the nephew basically um just opens the door to everyone to be like look what we can do with electricity then in short order there's a guy who creates something called the celestial bed which is a thing they've got rings they've got um They've got belts for, you know, electric belts for stimulating the nethers. The, the celestial bed is supposed to um, help infertile couples. Um, this is how sort of just wild, you know, electricity is in those days. It's like, it's kind of like, you know how like everybody went crazy for crypto scams <laughs> like last year? Like electricity was like the crypto of like 1828 or whatever, 18, 1830s. And the sky the celestial bed, so people would come and they would pay 9,000 $9, pounds to spend a night in it, right? Uh, well, not at the time, that's in today's money. And um, it didn't even use electricity. Like, it used the idea of electricity, like it was homeopathy. <laughs> but electricity, <laughs> like, you don't even know where to start. So this is the sort of caliber of pseudoscience. And this is like really echoed down through the years, you know, that was in the 1800s. But you know, when people submit, you know, papers or grant applications, like I heard more than one researcher say to me, people would look at this like electric stuff and they'd be like, does anyone still believe this shit? And it's like, this is rigorous science, but it's been just tarnished by the association with this stuff.
0: So you mentioned uh, wound care and and the book talks about some of the ways you might know, manipulate wound care, but we're also looking at, at other really uh, ambitious ideas like, um, you know regenerate cell like regenerating um limbs as part of it. that's an extension of wound care and also um you, you make the point of, of uh, certainly doing diagnostics and then possibly treatments for, for things like cancer in, in in thinking about cancer in a very in a very different way than the really very very tightly focused genetic view we have of cancer now mm-hmm. and thinking about it in a, in a kind of a, a, a literally in a wider context so can, can you talk about that a
1: bit? sure i want to start um by saying that i went to a lot of trouble to be really careful in the book i think cancer is one of those things that you know like i um, i've had you know cancer in my family and um it's it's tough to talk about it because you don't want to give people the idea that there's a cure for cancer like around the corner when it, this is basic research and intriguing findings um because you know, that's, um, it's not fair. But, um, and I sort of struggled. I thought for a while, like, do I even bring this up? But the ideas behind it are so intriguing. And, you know, if there were more research dollars thrown at it, or pounds or whatever, Swiss fond, um, you know, y- you might be able to really start moving the needle on some of this stuff. Um, the idea is there are two... Um, electrical oh god I don't want to say avenues but it is unfortunately what I have to do there are two electrical avenues um to pursue in cancer the first one is something that a researcher called Mustafa Jamgaz at Imperial College here in the the UK he um has been studying this since the 90s um because he used to be um a neurobiologist he was looking at vision and He was talking to some of his oncologist friends and they gave him some cancer cell lines and he started looking at the behavior of cancer cells, the electrical behavior of cancer cells. And he started finding some really weird behaviors, cancer cells that should not have had anything to do with action potentials, like from prostate cancer lines. When he looked at them, they were oscillating like crazy, like as if they were nerves. And then he started looking at other kinds of cancer cells and they were all oscillating and they were doing this oscillating behavior. So he spent like seven years, you know, sort of, um, you know, bashing his head against the wall. Nobody wanted to listen to him, but now, you know, it's quite, um, way more people are now investigating this. There's going to be an Ion Channel and Cancer Symposium, I think later this month actually in Italy. And he found and a lot of other researchers like this woman anna rosa Arcangeli, they have found that the reason that cancer cells may have these oscillating properties is that this is how they communicate with each other that it's time to leave the nest of the tumor and like start invading and metastasizing um, separately there have been very intriguing this is really early days it's only a couple of years that they've started noticing this but there have been a couple of papers now people who are on certain kinds of um, ion channel blockers um, for neurological uh, conditions like epilepsy for example they have um, cancer profiles that are slightly different from normal which is that If they do get cancer they're slightly less likely to die of it in the aggregate you know this isn't like you know nobody should be like starting to eat you know ion channel blockers but they're starting to zero in on which particular ion channels might be responsible and it's not just like one that you and i have these um these cancer kinds they are they are like a re-expression of something that normally only exists when we're developing in the womb it's part of the reason that we can grow our cells so quickly which of course makes sense because that's what cancer does when it metastasizes it grows really quickly so there's a lot of work right now trying to identify how exactly to target these and it wouldn't be a cure for cancer it would be a way to keep a tumor in check and this is part of a strategy right that has been proposed in the UK a little bit you know for some kinds of cancer like the triple negative kind that just keep coming back like instead of subjecting someone to you know radiation and chemo when they're especially when they're older like you know sort of um, just really screwing up their quality of life while possibly not even like giving them that much more time what if instead you sort of tried to treat cancer more like a chronic disease keep it managed and you know maybe that gives a person like 10 or 20 years that's a huge amount of time you know and while not you know messing up with their quality of life this is a the whole conversation that's you know being had, but that's one avenue, and there are uh, there's a lot of research going on in this right now, um, that may yield fruit sort of soon. The much more sci-fi version of this, the 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 studies have mainly been done in tadpoles, but they're so interesting, so. Um, Michael Levin again and his, um, his postdoc at the time, I think, uh, Brooke Chanet, they were looking at what happens. So it's, it's, it's uncontroversial that as a cancer cell, you know, so uh, let's go back to that society of cells thing that I was talking about. You know, you get um, fertilized egg, it's depolarized, zero, but then its membrane voltage charges and it becomes a nerve cell or a skin cell or a, um, you know, a, a fat cell. What's super interesting is that when those responsible members of your body's society decide to abscond and say, like, screw this, I'm not participating in society anymore. I'm just going to eat and grow and become cancer. Their membrane voltage also changes. It goes much closer to zero again. Almost like it's having like a midlife crisis or whatever. So what they found, what what Levin and Charnay found, is that you can manipulate those cellular electrics to um, make the cancer, make the cell stop behaving cancerously. And so they did this in tadpoles. They had genetically engineered the tadpoles to express tumors. But when they made sure that the cells could not depolarize, the most of those tadpoles did not express the tumors. And when they later took tadpoles that already had the tumors and they um, repolarized the voltage, those tumors, that tissue, started acting like normal tissue, not like cancer tissue. But again, this, this is the sci-fi stuff. But the fact that it was done at all, is so fascinating again from that like epigenetic sort of body pattern perspective right so sort of
0: staying saying with that, that that sci-fi stuff except this one um even uh i think more closer to to reality can you, and, and this goes back to some of these experiments which you zapped yourself like can you can you talk a little bit about about some of these um uh sort of uh, devices you can wear which uh, appear to really enhance um certain mental abilities um and some of these you, you try.
1: so the, the 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 kit that i wore um i actually found out about it while i was at spectrum um when i was at darpa tech and um so this program manager told me about it and i was really stunned to find out that just by running you know two milliamps of through your brain, you would be able to um, improve your um, ability. Well, it's it's not that your ability is improved. It was that you could go from novice to expert in half the time that it would take you normally, according to the papers. And so I really wanted to try it. I was trying to actually get an expert feature written for IEEE Spectrum, but they kept like ghosting me and then by the time I got to New Scientist, I was like, fine, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> so um, they let me come over and they put this kit on me. And it was this like very sort of, you know, custom electrodes, these things. They look like big daisies. And this guy had like brewed his own electrolyte solution and sort of smashed it onto my head. And, <laughs> you know, it was all very <laughs> slimy. But um, when he so I was doing this video game called Dar Wars Ambush, which is just like a training. sim. It's a shooter simulation to help you with shooting so it was it was a gonzo stunt it was not like you know an experiment but he was trying to you know replicate the conditions of me not knowing whether the electricity was on as much as much as he could so he had it sort of behind my back and he came in a couple of times and like would either pretend to turn it on or whatever and I was um practicing and I was really bad at it it was very uh, this that is not my game let's just put it that way Um, I prefer driving games But um, it was really frustrating as well, because I never knew when the electricity was on. So I was just like, there's no difference. This sucks. I'm terrible. And that sort of inner sort of buzz kept getting stronger and stronger um, because I'd also made like bad choices. You know, I'd taken a red eye flight the night before. And I was like, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just give myself one extra day to like recover before I go in and do this like really complicated feature where I have to learn about flow state and like electrical stimulation and I was just getting really tense and just angrier and angrier and then at one point he came in after like my I don't know fifth or sixth or I don't know 400th like horrible attempt where I just got blown up every time and then he turned on the electricity and I could totally feel that something had happened because I have a little retainer in my mouth that just like at the bottom and I was like whoa <laughs> that's um but then I was just like okay well now it's now this is gonna st- suck extra much because I know the electricity's on so it's not even a freaking sham condition so I was mad but then the thing started again and all of a sudden like um, all the sort of sort of buzzing little angry voices just like stopped and it was so profound and I've talked about it like you know uh, quite a bit like uh, but it just it every time I remember it I get like a little chill because it was the first time I'd ever realized number one like how like how pissy my inner voices are and just like how distracting they are and how like abusive they are and I was like you guys suck like all of you but somebody had just put like a bell jar between me and them and that feeling of being free from them was like profound at first I didn't even notice because I was like just busy doing stuff and all of a sudden I was amazing at this game and I dispatched all of the you know enemies and whatnot and then afterwards um, when they came in I was actually pissed because I was just like oh now I get it right and you come in after three minutes but the last times when I was like screwing it up you left me in there to cook for 20 minutes and they were like no 20 minutes has gone by which I could not believe Um, but yeah it was uh, yeah it was just a really fairly profound um, experience which is what led me down this giant rabbit hole in the first place because when I wrote the feature afterwards you know all of a sudden i started paying attention to the whole tdcs thing which i hadn't yet you know i had i had just sort of been familiar. and that's transcranial <laughs> oh sorry transcranial direct current stimulation there you go thank you sorry uh-huh. no it's um yeah it's it's a mouthful um and um but then that's when i started to notice you know that quackery we were talking about before like all that history was really informing the discussion around it because people were just like oh sure why don't you zap your brain with some electricity and you become super smart and I was like oh did I like fall for the placebo effect was this like you know what what happened here and you know there was this big study from Australia where the guy was just like when we average out all of the effects of TDCS we find that it does absolutely nothing other guys stimulated a cadaver to see if it would even reach the brain tissue and concluded it wouldn't um but you know, that's basically what started me researching the book. And I was able to find answers to all those questions. Um, but of course, you know, TDCS is still, I mean, it's finicky, just like the electrome, you know, it's like, your bone is living bone is conductive. So when you put, you know, when you're trying to put an electric field on your head, basically, you have to account for things like, how thick is that person's skull in the place that you want to stimulate? You know, just it's, it, they're still working out the parameters. There've been some really good studies that show like sort of under which particular conditions they've been able to make it work. They do, it does not work for all conditions for which it is claimed to work. Uh, there is some snake oil. There's, there's a lot left to be done, but you know, a better understanding of how, this affects the different layers of the sort of, I guess, call it electrom, um, would probably make it it something that you could use replicably, is that a word? But also that applies to things like deep brain stimulation, which, you know, also, you know, for Parkinson's, it's fantastic, but like they're trying to use it for depression. And in some cases it works so, uh I want to use a bad word, amazingly. You know, just uh, Helen Mayberg, who runs these trials, she said that like for some people, this is an option of last resort, and then they get the stimulation and they just get back on the bus. That's her quote, and it's just like, you know, it's like a switch that you flip, and for other people, it doesn't work at all. Well, so. the,
0: the the book is is packed with even more fantastic stuff, and I'm sorry we <laughs> don't have. Time to go through, because because literally, I, I, I could sit here and 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 chat you all day about
1: this. I didn't even get into the frog battery, but okay, that's fine, fine, <laughs> fine. Skip the frog battery. Sorry, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for for Sally for chatting with us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really love
0: talking about, it especially with you. Today in Fix the Future, we're talking with Sally Ad about her new book on the body's electromagnetic spectrum. I'm Stephen Cass.